I'm just going to kind of talk with you this morning. I've got lots to talk about. I've got pages of notes, but we'll see where it goes. Um, we don't have a lot of time. And so I just want to share kind of family style this morning. Does that go okay with you? Yeah. Um, we're still in the Thanksgiving season. And uh, we're coming into, if this is your home church, this is really going to apply to you. But if it's not, I still believe there's a lot of good in it for you. We're coming into a new season. Um, and it is, for me personally, I'm coming into the completion of one season. Back in 2012, there was, a, if I were to track most of the things that have happened in this church over the past you know, three to five years, we'll say, most of it tracked back to a season of words that the Lord had given my wife and I in 2012. Um, it was like, you ever have a year where it was like it was the beginning of something? Yeah. It was like everything was there. And we had every, everything we tracked back was like somebody prophesied this 2012. Somebody had a vision 2012. Somebody had a dream 2012. And it was all going back. And, of course, we've had a lot since then. But it was a major year. I was preaching one week, and I came down, and I sat in my seat. And my mom was behind me. who They just went off to Florida, and they won't be here for a little while. But uh, she leaned over to me, and she said, John, she said, you've just come to the completion, the seven years of what God's done. And he's getting ready to start something completely new. How many know mama says it? <laughs> Especially how many know my mom? <laughs> if you don't know my mom, you're missing out. My mom's like the special forces of the spiritual military. She knows things no one else knows. I remember when I was a kid, I could be having a bad dream, and the Lord would wake her up while I was having the dream in her room, and she would come in and immediately like pray over me and pray me out of the dream when I was like still like asleep. I didn't have to wake up and run in there. She was like, she felt what was going on. And so, anyway, she, she says something she, about seven. The number seven is completion. And I have personally, and I believe whatever is going on in my heart, you also get to receive it. I have had an overwhelming amount of dreams. When I say that, I'm talking like, on average, I've been having anywhere from three to five dreams on every night. Wow. It's a lot. The good thing is, is I'm sleeping. I'm serious. I, I told Tiffany a couple nights ago, I said, you know what? I'm sleeping a lot to have that many dreams. And um, God is doing something. He's setting the stage for something new. I've, I, can't, I can't possibly don't have the time, nor is it appropriate that I share all my dreams. Because some of them are just for me or they're not, it's not the right time. But we've been having tons of dreams. I'm having, I'm having dreams where people are getting up in the morning before me. And I'm having a dream, and when I was, the last thing I dreamed, they texted me while I was still asleep and said, I'm having a vision of you right now, and it was the same thing I dreamed. Wow. People are having visions while I'm having dreams at the same time. So the, the atmosphere is charged for something new to happen right now. We're coming into a season that is going to be very different. It's going to be very fresh. And for me, there is a tremendous presence of the Lord that you have felt it the past couple of weeks in the services. This morning, again, it was a heavy presence of the Lord. When I woke up yesterday morning, I came downstairs, and I walked downstairs, and there was, in my home, there was such a heavy presence of the Lord. It was almost like I, I just wanted to, I didn't know what to do. It was like, whoa. Tiffany says it's because we put up Christmas decorations. I don't think that's... <laughs> <laughs> I told you, the glory's here. Um, but <laughs> she's like, this is all her season. And, um, but I, I came downstairs, and I just, I walked downstairs, and what you're feeling this morning, and you felt in the service, is what was in my living room. And it was like, the Holy Spirit was like, good morning. And so he's moving, he's speaking, he's giving dreams, he's giving visions. But one of the things I want to talk about this morning is um, and we'll see if I even get one point done, maybe half a point. I want to talk to you about how to receive. I think we're better at asking often than we are at receiving. And I'm going to give you a couple passages, but we'll see where this goes. to have some mercy on me this morning. I've got a lot of stuff scratched down and I'm trying to put it together in my head. In chapter, uh, John chapter 11, verse 21, we see a passage that's really, really interesting. 
It's about the death of Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 21. says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even God will give you whatever you ask. <laughs> I love that. Martha, she understood theology better than many of us. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Pause. Jesus is actually responding to her prayer. And she's completely missing it and putting it off to the future. She's coming to him saying, Lord, if you hadn't been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now he's dead. And I know you can rise him from the dead because anything you ask the father, he'll do. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Lord, I know it'll happen in the future. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. The church, uh, we have, we have, one of the things that we have struggled with is often putting things off for the future that God wants to happen now. Yes. And it's a, it's a, it's a. <laughs> Don't put it off. <laughs> it's a fun topic because it's one that some, some people have built their whole walk around the future when God is wanting to call you into it now. Yes. My dad used to say, he said, we, they would sing that song, um, All Fly Away, and there was this verse in it. He said it was like only a few more weary days here and there. He's like, what a depressing <laughs> verse in a worship song. He's like, only a few more weary days here and there. The idea that we have to die to step into what God is calling us into is really not good because if that's the truth, then death is your Savior, not Jesus. Yes! Come and, on! And what we need to begin to do is step into what God is calling us into now. And I think, though, a lot of us actually don't know how to step into it now because we actually haven't learned very well how to receive. We've just learned how to go after Martha was going after something, and Jesus was saying to Martha, your brother's going to live. And she immediately took what he said, and she put it off to the future. I see this all the time. I talk to people. You want to know what robs so many people from their miracle is when they take what you're believing for now, fear comes in, and they say, well, if it doesn't happen now, maybe it'll happen in the future. And I watch fear come in and doubt, and it robs people from what God could do. Are you with me? Jesus. A few, just a few chapters back, John chapter, uh, John chapter two. We see uh, it's the story of where Jesus turns the water into wine. I, I, I love this story because it's Jesus' first miracle, but I love it really from the perspective of his mother. Because here's Mary. She knew when the angel came to her, your son is going to be the savior of the world. She has known for 30 years. She has walked her boy, walk planet Earth, and knows that everything that is needed is in him. 30 years. Some people come and they get really antsy after a year of not doing something. And Mary's watched him for 30 years carrying the answers. So there, something happens in Mary where they're at this wedding, and it's like, Mama was like, it's time. And she said, they said, well, we're out of wine. And she's like, Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. She's like, son, take care of that. And Jesus says, it's not my time. This is an interesting scripture because for almost everyone, if we were looking face-to-face -face at Jesus and, Je and you asked him for something and he said, it's not time, I think most of us would say, okay. Not mama. He's, she, he says, it's not my time. And then she says this. So she turns to his disciples and says, do as he says. She pulls the mom card, completely bypasses Jesus for a moment. And she's like, do as he says. But the interesting thing is, is he does it. Now, this really messes with some people's whole view on, you know, how God controls things. Because it messes with it when we find out that God has room in his sovereignty for you and I. 
because he said, no, it's not time. And she said, now would be a great time. And he did it. I think we see a picture here of being able to pull something that was actually meant for somewhere down the road into now. I would say, though, that we even struggle beyond that where, in this case, Jesus was actually wanting it for now. And we often try to push it down the road. <laughs> Fear will rob you of answering answered prayers. Thank you. I have some translations on my phone that I'm going to pull out. Fear will rob you of when God wants to answer prayers in your life. I remember hearing Brian Simmons. He came once, he's come a number of times. You guys know who Brian Simmons is? Anybody ever read the Passion Translation? It's, it's so much fun. It's such a great, it really is passionate. And um, Brian has come a number of times and he makes the remark when he prays for people. He said, I'm gonna pray for you. And he said, I want you to receive because it's sometimes hard to talk and kiss at the same time. I think it's funny. How many of you can't talk and kiss someone at the same time? You could try. Sometimes I feel like when God's actually wanting to kiss us, we're talking. And I feel like we're coming into a season where God wants to kiss us. This, this all started, and I'm going to give you kind of the end of my sermon right now and tease you. This all started when I read a scripture that we all quote all the time, that the violent taketh by force. And then it hit me. This simple phrase, then how do the nonviolent get it? Because it really struck me. I'm like, well, what about those that are nonviolent? And I feel like there's something to that. And so I began to dig in about what God wants to do for us. <laughs> Could it be that our fear of being let down lowers the bar to being disciplined in prayer but not expectant in prayer? Could it be that our fear of being let down will lower the bar to being disciplined in prayer, but not expectant in prayer? I would say that the very definition of a spirit of religion is form without power. What is religion? We always talk about a spirit of religion. It's when someone's doing everything right when they're doing all of the form, when they're doing all of the actions, but they're not, there's, there's no power. Yeah. The enemy isn't concerned so much about your prayer life if he knows that he can keep you in a place where you never see your prayers fulfilled. Wow. I would actually say that the enemy would be okay with you praying all the time if he can keep you from expecting your prayers to be answered. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, help me. I meet a lot of people that have a gift for prayer and, and they pray a lot. But how many know that prayer is not just petition? Prayer is a conversation you have with your father. And so when we reduce prayer to the idea of asking for something, it already is starting to get unhealthy. And many people are okay with the idea of praying, 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 praying. But the question that I'm going to challenge you with this morning is when you're praying, are you expecting in the same breath for that prayer to be answered? We have, this is so important. In the very same breath that you ask something of the Father, are you expecting it to happen? I don't think the enemy is so worried about people just all the time crying out for things. I think his concern is when you start to step into them. <laughs> Help me out, Jesus. How would our prayer life change if we understood that our prayers have already been answered before we pray them? Zechariah 10.1, you can read it later, but it says, In the time of rain, ask for the rain. I love this passage. When it's raining, ask for rain. Yeah. 
a good way to develop your prayer life. <laughs> this morning it was raining. What if you would walked outside and said, Lord, let it rain. It's raining. You laugh. Zechariah 10.1, in the time of the rain, in the time of the springtime and the rain, ask for the rain. How many of you know that everything that you asked for was already accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago? It's already been done. So what if we prayed from a position of knowing that when we're praying, it's already been done. We just need to take it and implement it. I want to I challenge our, our, our ability this morning to up our prayer life, to increase in our expectancy, because I feel like I almost get convicted when we come in week after week, and I feel like you're crying out after something. It's like so many times I'm like, I feel like it's already here. Maybe it's not that we need to ask for it again. Maybe it's that we need to receive it. Come here, Ethan, my son, my firstborn. Isn't he handsome? He's a good boy. In the time of the rain, ask for the rain. Everybody say, when it's raining, ask for rain. Doesn't make sense except for realizing that what you're praying for has already been answered. And when you begin to believe that way, it begins to change things because you begin to expect things. <laughs> Hopefully that door is unlocked where he's going. Somebody can go unlock it for him. Thanks. Matthew chapter 11. That's that where we want to go now. Let's not go there yet. <laughs> Let's try John chapter 1 Sorry I'm usually a little bit more organized But this is where we're at today You guys have mercy Alright there you go We're playing dodgeball so keep your eyes open I'm just joking <laughs> She hits Craig like You know he's going to go after you You know <laughs> you a little bit about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is an interesting story. John the Baptist, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah, and he sent his disciples to ask him. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So John the Baptist, he's sitting in prison, and he is feeling pretty down. How many of you know that if you did everything that Jesus told you to do, and then you ended up in prison for it, you could be feeling a little down? John has done exactly what he was told to do. Now he's in prison, and he's hit a point of discouragement where I think many people land in their prayer life, where doubt sets in, and you begin to doubt things that you clearly knew before. Remember when John was baptizing out by the Jordan, and it says that he, was, he went out there, and he was going to baptize until the Messiah showed up. So he's out there baptizing. Nope, you're not it. Baptizing. Nope, you're not it. Baptizing, baptizing, baptizing. And then it says he sees Jesus from a far away off and says, there is the Lamb of God. How many know that was before he was in prison? How many of you know that you've gone on a pretty big journey, that you have gone all the way from behold the Lamb of God, he baptizes him, he says, I can't baptize you before that, he says, I can't even like take your sandals off, I'm not worthy. But Jesus says, just, just let it be so, go ahead and do it. He baptizes Jesus, he goes down, the, the, you know the story, the heavens rip open, the voice of the Father comes, this is my son, and who I'm well pleased, bird comes down. This is a big moment. And he goes all the way from this to sitting in prison saying, ask him if he's the Messiah. Life can throw some punches where you go from knowing this to it's easy if we're not careful where we land over here doubting everything that God showed us. 
And the enemy, that's where he wants to get you. He wants to get you to a place of doubt because he knows that if he can get you into a place of doubt, he puts you in a position where you're no longer able to receive. But he wants to get you into a place of doubt. John has went from seeing the most amazing thing to saying, I don't even know if he's the Messiah. It's interesting how Jesus handles this. Could almost be considered offensive. Verse 4, Jesus replied to this, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Before you can truly understand how powerful this statement is, and if you've been here a few years, you've heard me teach on this, so ride with me just a minute. Before you can really understand how powerful this statement is, you have to understand something that is called the Messianic Miracles. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Because at the time Jesus was ministering, when he came to earth, the priest believed that when the Savior showed up, he would fulfill four miracles, specific miracles, that only the Messiah could fulfill. They were four that they had procedures in place that if someone comes and fulfills these four, send them here. Jesus is interesting because Jesus is smart. He's, he's no dummy. He knows their procedures. And so when Jesus comes to earth, he begins to do these miracles. And I'll give you references if you want to write them down. And the first one was in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And the first one was healing someone of leprosy. No one had ever been healed of leprosy, ever, before Jesus came on the earth. There were specific guidelines for the priest that if someone shows up and heals someone of leprosy, there were guidelines that had been training priests in for a thousand years or more. Here's what you do if someone heals someone from leprosy. You take them and you bring them to the priest. Remember when Jesus healed the leper, what he said to do? Go show yourself to the priest. I love it. Jesus is not only powerful. He's like, he knows the procedure. He knows what they're looking for. So when he heals them from leprosy, he says, go show yourself to the priest. So he goes to the priest and number one, check. The second messianic miracle was to heal a mute person. We see that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. This was a big deal because the priests had tried through all their different formulas to heal somebody who was mute, but they couldn't do it. Priests could do deliverance, which is the process where we picked up a while ago getting the name of a demon. But how do you get the name of a demon if the person with the demon can't talk? Because they believed you were mute because you had a demon. So they believed that there's no way that any man could do this because they believed the only way to send out a demon is to get the name and send it out. How do you send a demon out of someone that can't talk and you can't get the name? Matthew chapter 12, again, Jesus comes and he heals the mute man. <laughs> the third one would be a blind man. They believe that blindness came from either your parents sinning or that you had sinned in the womb. Talk about a high standard. <laughs> you would talk about no mercy. Sorry, you blew it for life. Apparently it happened in the womb before you were born. But it is what it is. <laughs> Too bad. So they believed that if you were born with an illness, you were cursed of God. And in return, if God cursed you, God wouldn't heal you. So the third miracle that Jesus performed 
In John chapter 9 was that he healed a blind man. Number three, check. <laughs> and the fourth miracle was that they believed that when someone died, that your spirit would hang around your body for three days. So they believed that it's possible that you could raise someone from the dead for three days because their spirit's still around. But there's no way that you could raise somebody from the dead after three days unless you're the Messiah. Anybody remember Lazarus? Anybody find it interesting that Jesus waited until his friend had already been dead three days? Oh, man, that excites me. I see God in this. He's like, sorry, Lazarus, I hate to leave you there that long. But, you know, we're advancing the kingdom here. He came after three days. Why? Because he checked off number four. You can't raise someone. They didn't believe only the Messiah could raise somebody from the dead after three days. And so here comes Jesus. He looks nothing like they want him to look. He, they, they expect him to come roaring like a lion and tearing down the kingdoms of this world. And he comes in like a lamb. And they don't know what to do. Because he looks nothing like what they thought he would look like. And so in his tenderness... He performs these four miracles, and now they're really in trouble because they know there's no way he can't be the Messiah. So their best idea is to kill him because he's not the one they want. Now, you've had your little Bible study. John is sitting in prison. He is frustrated. He is discouraged. He has gone from one of the, probably at that point in time, the greatest revelation of Jesus, seeing the heavens opened. I mean, we've had some amazing services, but we, I haven't seen that one yet, where the heavens open and we all hear the voice of the Father. He sees this, and now he's saying, is he the one? Jesus responds to the disciples, says, go back and tell him these miracles have happened. What's he doing? He's testifying, saying, John, we did it. We did it. This scripture like moves me. I don't, I don't know why I always get teary when I read this scripture because I meet so many people that are so frustrated and sometimes I get it. I mean, we've been there. I meet people are so frustrated. Life has just punched them and punched them and punched and they have gone from our equivalent would be down here, yay, Jesus, to you walk in looking like you're beat up into church and just saying, is, is everything that I've been experiencing real? And I talked last week about the testimony, that Jesus loves to abide in the testimony. When John was challenged, Jesus said, he testified. Yeah. He didn't send back, John, hang in there. He said, John, we did it. We did it. Verse 7. Let's read on. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about him. <sighs> Listen, don't you see like the love for John? He sends back his word. Then he begins to like brag on John. Like he's like, he, he sends word over and then he begins to, he says, I begin to talk to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? John eleven seven, A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Get my Bible app here. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, <laughs> are you guys seeing what's happening here? This is such a powerful moment of Jesus' ministry. John's in prison. 
And he's saying, there has never been anyone greater than John. He's saying this to the crowd. There has never been anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. All right, I'm going to pause here. First of all, Jesus is explaining there is a shift happening in the kingdom. John the Baptist was amazing. There was no greater than John the Baptist until now. And anyone who is in the kingdom is greater than he. Jesus is, he's, he is opening the door to a better covenant, this new covenant. And things are shifting. From the days that John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. Stop there. This is the cornerstone for a lot of people's prayer life. I hear it all the time. The violent taketh by force. But you forgot a word in there. Jesus said, until now. Oh, I just messed up so many people's prayer life. Could it be that you don't have to do that? If you want to keep your violent, that's fine. And I believe there are times where the devil makes me angry and I just go after him. I'm all right with that. But he said, until now, up to this point, it was the violent that took it by force. Everything's changing. Everything's changing. Verse 13, for all the prophets in the law was prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Come on, world. <laughs> Everything is shifting. What, what, what's, what's now the plan? If you have ears, listen. It was violent. Taketh. Now, listen. 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 <laughs> I, I'm turning everything around on you this morning because we have a, a, the, a, a, an approach on warfare that I believe that sometimes may not be, how do I say this? There's more effective ways to do it. Yes, there is. It's not that it doesn't work, but there may be easier ways. I meet people that war and war and war, and they, they have results, and it sucks the life out of them. I'm serious. And then you meet people that everything's going right for them, and you just find this interesting fact about them often. They know how to listen. Yeah. What's the Holy Spirit saying about this? Yeah. Why? Because people that listen don't work off of just principles and formula. They, lift, they work off of presence and what God is saying about that moment. And it changes things from saying, I'm not going to do it just this way. I get it. It was always done that way. But I'm going to change my methods because now things changed. Now it's about the presence. Those that have an ear, listen. Listen. Jesus was changing the rules. He was changing everything. I'm going to read this next part in the, in, um, the Passion Translation because it's just so good. Um, verse 14 if you can receive this truth, John is Elijah who was destined to come, so listen and understand. Verse 16, don't you understand? How could I describe the people of this generation? You're like children playing games on the playground, yelling at their playmates. You don't like it when we want to play wedding, and you don't like it when we want to play funeral. He's kind of correcting them now. You will neither dance nor mourn. Why is it that when John came to you, neither, neither feasting nor drinking wine, you said he has a demon in him? Okay, let me, let me, I feel like I'm losing you. Let me pause a second. John came and he wouldn't do any of the stuff that, that, that he wouldn't do any of that. He wouldn't feast, he wouldn't drink, he wouldn't have, and they said he's got a demon. That's what people said, not Jesus. That's what people accused him of. But then he says, verse 19, yet the Son of Man came and went to feast. 
drank wine. You said, look at this man. He is nothing but a gluten and a drunkard. <laughs> glutton. Got that gluten thing on my spirit. <laughs> he spins. He got, Jesus came with gluten. <laughs> actually, I got so many things I can say about that. And it's so, it's actually really profound. <laughs> He's the bread of life, and it ain't gluten free. <laughs> He's nothing but a glutton and a drunkard. He spends all his time with the tax collectors. Remember the scripture we just read? He spends all of his time with the, the tax collectors and, and other affluent sinners. But God's wisdom will be visibly seen living in those who embrace it. Oh, this is so good. What is he saying? He's saying, okay, John did it this way. I want you to focus on the shift. He's, he's drawing a picture of his two different things, a wedding, a funeral, drinking, having a great time, fasting, all this stuff. You called him a glutton and drunkard. You said that he was, had a demon. The part I want to focus on, if you're looking at it in the context of what he's saying, he's correcting them on the fact he's basically saying when you're working with somebody with a religious spirit, you're not going to get anywhere. Is really what was happening. He, they had a religious spirit, and he was saying, doesn't matter which one I present, you're not going to get it until that religious spirit is gone. <laughs> but the fact I want to get across to you is how things changed. And Jesus said, now just have an ear to hear. <laughs> Go out. Don't, don't take this wrong. But go out and party and have fun. Christians sometimes, well, I shouldn't say that. But you know what I'm thinking. We should be, we should be known for being fun people. We shouldn't just be known for our no's. We should be known for our yeses. I saw, I saw one time where they asked a bunch of church kids, what do you believe in Jesus? And all they knew is what they didn't believe in. Yeah. We don't believe in doing this. We don't believe in doing this. We don't believe in doing this. And they're like, what do you believe in? And like, we don't know. We've not been taught that. We just know our no's. We need to be known for our yes. We need to be known for our yes. And one of the things that has to shift in the season we're coming into, let me bring this full circle and I'm gonna wrap it up. We're coming into a new season where God is doing new things. It's going to look different. I promise you, it's going to look different. I can walk you through the history of almost up, you know, now, all the way back to about 1900 and different moves of God and how they've all looked so different. They've looked so different. All the way back, if you go way back to the Welsh revival, there's always a whoop for that one. It's, it's so different. It's always going to be different. But one of the things that we have to learn how to do is we have to learn how to receive. This is so big because I feel like some people know how to come in and holler for more. And God's like, take it. And you're still like, more. And he's like, first take it. <laughs> you can't have more unless you already have something to get more of. And people are like, you know, like I, I, this is a conviction for me that I don't want to just keep going after more. In the same breath that I ask for more, I want to say, oh, I receive it. I receive it. And I had this picture. I had this picture of this ball and playing with somebody. How many of you know if you throw a ball to somebody, they have to be ready to catch it? You ever been like playing with kids and the kids like, like, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And you throw it and they're like, you know, they, they can't catch it. And why? Because they weren't. And then usually if it's your kid, what do you do? You teach them how to receive. You say, open your arms. And then you just go, catch. I feel like we actually need to learn as a church how to receive. I see God the Father saying, I got this for you. We're coming in this new season. He's saying, I got this and this and this and this. And we're like, Lord, give me this. There's one more powerful scripture that I don't know if I wrote it down or not. It's so much fun. Thank you. Um, at, oh, there it is. It's a funny scripture too. Amen. 
Acts chapter 12. it well there's a passage where Peter was taken to prison there it is Peter was taken to prison verse 5 he was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him (laughs) this is a fun scripture they're having a prayer meeting for Peter he's in prison God set him free loose his chains And they're praying. And the angel comes to Peter and he's like, I'm going to set you free. And you know the story. He walks right out of prison. The chains fall off of his wrist. The angel of the Lord says, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. (laughs) And then Peter, they basically come to the place where they're having the prayer meeting. He knocks on the door. They're praying, God, set Peter free. (laughs) Open the door. (gasps) That's not Peter. (laughs) It says this ghost. God set Peter free. Set him free. He's standing on the other side of the door. I see this with people where they're like, God, do this. And God's like, it's right there. And they look at him and they're like, no, it's not it. And he's like, that's it. It's right there. Why? Because we have gotten so good at asking sometimes instead of receiving. And God wants to teach us the position to catch. To catch. We can't, we can't constantly be in a position of this. We have to be in a position of this. And it's changing. It's changing. And I, I, I've, I've got more than I have time for. And so I'm going <laughs> to, next week, we'll, st- we'll kind of wrap it up here. <laughs> oh, oh, you get to have it now. I mean, <laughs> things changed. Things changed. Everything changed with Jesus. When he was talking to this crowd, and he was talking about these, this spirit of religion, and he, it was basically saying, if you've got the spirit of religion, you're not going to get it either way. Listen, the spirit of religion will rob you from what God is doing, no matter what it looks like. He was saying to them, you've got a, this, you, you didn't see it when it looked that way, and now it looks the complete opposite, and you still don't see it. Because the spirit of religion is blinding you from it. In the Old Covenant, I love this. Bill Johnson says in the Old Covenant, he says, if you touch the unclean, you became unclean. In the New Covenant, you touch the unclean and it becomes clean. Stop being fearful. Don't be fearful. You don't have to fear. (laughs) The kingdom, I said it before, Everything has changed. Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is at hand. We've picked this up in the office of saying the kingdom of God is in stock. It's fully stocked. It's right there. So. Are you ready to receive? <laughs> Let's stand up and... I just condensed a whole lot really quick. I hope you got it. (laughs) I want to pray over you. I feel the discouragement on some of you, and it's it's not to be disregarded either. Jesus didn't disregard John's discouragement. He spoke hope into it. So we don't disregard if you're feeling that discouragement because sometimes things happen and it's challenging. And so I want to speak into you first. 
if you're, if you're in the room and, and you've just went through a very challenging season, some of you are still in it. Right now, I just release hope and peace over you right now. I pray that as Jesus reminded John of the good works that had happened, the, the, the messianic miracles, I pray that even right now over you that you would be reminded of the goodness of God in your life. You would be reminded of, and that would be your anchor. Yeah. It would anchor you. I pray over your minds. I pray over those of you right now that are in that place where your mind is foggy and it's hard to even focus. Prayer is so challenging. I just pray that he would blow through right now and that the fog would lift and it would be removed from your mind and you would have clarity to pray, clarity to worship, that as you're in his presence, you would feel the embrace of the Father. And I, and I remind you of the words that the Lord has for you in your life. I remind you, somebody needs to hear, I remind you of the words for your family. Some of you, it's about your family, and I remind you, some of them have words over their lives. They don't expire. And there's nothing that we could do that would make them null and void. The word of God is the word of God. And so I remind you of the words over your children, your sons and your daughters, that the word of God remains. It remains over them. And I bless your family. I bless you. Now, I want you now just to be in a position to receive. This is the best way I know to do it is just to physically act as if you're going to receive something. And I pray that right now that the Father, the things that you've been praying for, I want you to now expect to experience them. If we could learn to receive with the same fervency that we have learned to ask, it would change the entire atmosphere of a corporate gathering. Now it's time for us to expect to receive. Discouragement, go away. Discouragement, get out. Fear of being let down. The, the, the thoughts that say, I just can't get my hopes up again. I tell that lie to go away. He is good enough to hold your heart. He created your very being. He's good enough to take care of you. And so I release, as we step into a new season as a house, as you step into new seasons as believers and individuals, I release over you the ability to begin to receive I've, I don't find it at all a coincidence that God is speaking to me so much through dreams because I believe he wants us to learn how to rest. I believe that the season that we're coming into, and it's been going on, but it's going to a new level, is learning how to rest. So I release over those of you that don't rest well in the physical now, those of you that are not sleeping well, in this room is the touch from the Lord that restores your sleep. And so right now, I release rest upon you. I release rest upon you. If that's you, you should take that. I, re I release rest from heaven to you. Now, Father, as we, as we move forward, we, we often we, we revert to what we've known longest, but I ask that you would give us grace that as we have fresh understanding of who you are, that we would learn to adjust with what the Spirit is doing. We need to learn to adjust with what the Spirit is doing. So, Father, enable us. Give us the strength. Give us the grace, Father, to really know and experience this better covenant. That it is so good. That it is so good. And I love it as you said in the Scripture that you said that they were playing wedding. Lord, it is a wedding. Guys, it is a wedding. We get to rejoice. We get to rejoice. Now, I remove off of you. I remove off of you the striving that feels like you have to make it happen. I take that off you. You don't have to make it happen. 
you don't, I'm just going to speak this, you don't have to be violent. He loves you enough to just let you rest and say, I'll join with you in this one. Just rest. Now pray over your minds as we adjust to this word from the Lord, as we adjust our thinking, as we adjust our way of doing things, that we would be filled with revelation of how to be effective in the kingdom. I just want you to begin to just say, just, just tell him, I receive. Just begin to receive it. I feel like you need to verbally just begin to tell the Lord, I receive it. Again, we're more comfortable often with getting before and asking for things. Now I want you to verbally receive it. I receive what you're doing in this room. I receive what's happening in the spirit this morning. Father, I receive the word that's being released. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. <laughs> catch it. Catch it. Just catch it. He's throwing things out. I just feel this really strong word from the Lord as, and I just, I just feel him continually pressing in my spirit this morning to encourage you all that what he's doing is going to look different. He will look different. Just, uh, just have your ears open because you'll know when you hear the Father, you know his voice. So spend time with him. Be familiar with his voice because there's gonna come times where you're gonna need to hear his voice. I feel that's a word from the Lord for you guys. As God does new things, you need to know his voice so you know it's him. And that comes through your time with him outside of this room where you learn your father's voice and you know it. So when he moves in a way you're not comfortable with, you say, that's different, but I know his voice. So I release that over you. I bless you.